This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 11th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The fragile situation in Egypt does not appear to be improving, though it's not clear what the U.S. can do to help. Dalibor Roak, policy analyst with the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity, says U.S. aid to Egypt has done a profound disservice to the Egyptian people, and it's past time for it to end. The political situation is very fluid, uncertain, and I think the most disturbing aspect of it is the is the rise in politically motivated violence. On Monday, 51 Muslim Brotherhood supporters were killed outside of um, the headquarters of the Republican Guard, and another 435 were wounded. Um, and instead of a proper investigation, what um, what the prosecutor did in in Egypt was to issue an arrest warrant for. For, for the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood, essentially, and other Islamic figures. Um, and that, to me, uh, sets Egypt on a dangerous path, because um, if you do systematically exclude certain political groups from the political process, particularly if they are religiously motivated political groups, like like the Freedom and Justice Party or, or, or the Salafist Nur Party, well, it's plausible that those groups will then have recourse to violence as an alternative to to standard political uh, participation and 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 so I fear that maybe Egypt might be should be bracing for 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 more violence if if the current trend continues. When we were seeing protests in the streets uh, before this coup occurred, it was young people. It was uh, not broadly speaking the kinds of people who are essentially making decisions right now about forming a government. That's right. Um, well, it's true that Morsi was hugely unpopular in the country, and and also um, the support for the just Muslim Brotherhood that they enjoyed a year ago just vanished partly because of the incompetence of the government. Uh, because of its failure to introduce any proper reforms. Um, but it's not clear that what people are getting uh, as a replacement for Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood makes the situation any better. If anything, many of the politicians who are now returning, al um, Beblawi or, or al Burde, are people who've never really been popular figures within Egypt and, and, and don't really command uh, broad popular support. Where does this leave the United States? The fight over aid seems to be the most relevant, but uh, doesn't the United States have another role to play here, arguably? Well, I think the aid issue is is interesting, and I'm, I would I would argue that you know if any if there was any time to to stop aid, this would probably be it, partly because of the um, because of the Federal Assistance Act that says that aid should not continue if there has been a military coup and. And we can argue about semantics, but this clearly holds a military takeover of the country. Um, there's also a deeper reason for why aid uh, should stop, which is that aid has been really counterproductive in, 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 in helping Egypt to get on the right path. So since 1949, Egypt received over 70 billion US dollars in, in aid. Most of it went to the military. And as a result, the military grew immensely. Um, According to various estimates, the military controls between 15 and 40 percent of Egypt's GDP, runs hotels and resorts, uh, runs manufacturing businesses, producing bottled water, producing olive oil, all sorts of things. And moreover, military really has a lot of leverage within the, the Egyptian society, within the political process. So it's not clear to me that that by itself is a worthwhile policy goal to empower military in the country. and. Maybe some would say that 
by doing that, you know, it, it, it's helping the United States to have leverage over that military force. But as we saw last week, um, the military just did whatever they, they felt like without any, uh, without taking you know, United States interest in, 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 into account in, in, in the slightest. So, so that argument to me sounds entirely unconvincing. When it comes to aid uh, and you're dealing with, in many cases, non-state actors, which in this case we sort of are dealing with various groups uh, vying for control of a state, it seems like those those groups are not constrained in any way by a threat of uh, withdrawing aid. Right. I mean, uh, we should really realize that the bulk of the of, of aid is going to the military. It's 1.3 billion U.S. dollars. The rest of, of the aid package that goes to Egypt is essentially peanuts. It's $200 million uh, plus or minus. Um, that is, economically speaking, trivial. Um, so, so if we are shoveling this money unconditionally to, to a military organization, uh, which is very powerful regardless, uh, it's not clear what, what, what exactly it buys us. And we've been doing it for years since really 1979 uh, there's been there's been a consistent inflow of military money military equipment into into Egypt without one moment of, of hesitation and and I think that approach needs to be reconsidered economically where does this leave Egypt it, mm-hmm. I think it's important to realize that the events of the Arab Spring two years ago were just as much about um, empowering people economically and creating access to economic opportunity as they were about uh, democratic accountability and an open political process. And the biggest disappointment to people in Egypt and also in other parts of the Arab world uh, after the Arab Spring comes from the fact that they have not been effectively empowered. Morsi wasted his year in, in the office trying to avoid the difficult economic problems that, that, that Egypt is facing. Um, First of all, there was no action taken uh, trying to reduce the deficit, trying to tackle the subsidy issue. So Egypt is running an unsustainable deficit of 11.5% of GDP. Much of it is driven by uh, wasteful subsidy programs, subsidies dispersed to consumer products, petroleum, and so on and so forth. And obviously, reforming the subsidy system is tricky. Uh, It can backfire. But it needs to be done, whether you like it or not. Um, no action was taken on that front. It's unlikely that the new government will have the mandate to, to pursue action on that front either. Um, the second biggest big problem facing Egypt is, um, is just bad business environment. Even if you assume away all the uncertainty, all the violence, all the erosion of rule of law that we've seen as a result of the coup, uh, Egypt has never really been a good place to do business uh, to begin with. So it ranks fairly low on World Bank's doing business report. It performs particularly badly on measures like um, obtaining construction permits, uh, enforcing contracts, paying taxes. Egypt on you know Fraser Institute's Index of Economic Freedom ranks 99th. It ranks below places like Belize or, or Haiti, which are not uh, entrepreneurial havens by by any means. It's also worth saying that in final years of, of Mubarak's uh, rule, there have been some intelligent uh, efficiency-enhancing reforms put in place, partly improving business environment and also planning to tackle subsidies over time. 
uh, and much of those efforts have been either reversed or stalled after Arab Spring. And the biggest fear going forward is whether the new leadership, whether it's military or whether um, it's based on, on a democratic mandate, whether they will have the political will uh, and, and courage to go ahead and, and, and fix the country's economy. But frankly, the alternative to to doing the needed reforms, uh, from my perspective, are just too terrible to imagine. Dalibor Roak is a policy analyst with the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. You can read more of his work at cato.org.